So uh, today is Resurrection Sunday, and um, it's always a privilege to be back. I consider LA home, and every time we, my wife and I, feel like we want recharging, we come here and connect with uh, family, and uh, thank you for being our family. So why don't we just stand up and look at the Word of God, and let the, wor the Word of God speak to us. <clears throat> Let's read 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 3 onwards. Let's go. I passed. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Let's continue. Tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead. Faith is useless. Wow. Let's continue. And if Christ has been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. If Christ did not resurrect, we are to be most pitied among anyone in the world. But the fact is, he has risen, right? Because he has risen, this is no longer true. But I think this, the word of God has a lot to tell us also this morning. So let's commit this time to God in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, who, who died on the cross and even predicted that he's going to rise again on the third day. And he did. And because of that, Lord, we are not to be the most pitied people on earth. And our faith is not useless, but powerful. Thank you, and I pray that uh, we will not take this truth for granted. We will not, this, we will not take this, this glorious day a reality, the reality that happened in history and in time for granted. And I pray that it will speak to us and change our lives forever. Not the kind of thing that we celebrate year on year, that it becomes routine and just part of religion but rather something that will change our lives, transform our lives forever to make us the kind of Christians that you want us to be. We commit this time to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sit down, please. He has risen. And I'd like to show you a video to set this message up.
folks, he has risen. And your reply is? He's risen indeed. You're not convinced. He's risen indeed. And it's not a fiction. The real historical event that happened for a reason. And this morning, I'd like all of us to really understand what that reason is. Because it's possible that, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you, you can just celebrate this year on year and it becomes routine, right? And it's even possible that you can, you can forget the reason. You can forget the meaning why he had to die on the cross and eventually why he had to resurrect. Because, folks, look at me. If we fail to understand the reason for the cross and the reason for the resurrection, honestly, as if it didn't happen. And if it didn't happen, or if you don't understand the reason for the resurrection, I think the Bible is correct. We ought to be the most pitied people on earth. And we don't want that to happen because the reason for the cross is Jesus wanted to prove that he is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. What does the Christ mean? Is the Messiah. Christ, the Messiah. And not only the Messiah, but folks, the son of the living God, who alone has the power over all, and not only over all, but most especially over sin and death. There are many messiahs, but they die. You know, when messiahs say, I'm going to save you, but in the end, they end up saving you, but they lose their lives. Why? Because they're not the son of the living God. But Jesus is both. He's the Christ, and he's the son of the living God. He died, yet He's the only one who lived. And that tells you that this is really a powerful God. And we ought to believe in what he did and what he stood for. Sin and death are our greatest problems. You may not be aware of it, but yes, all of you will die. Yeah, I am about 10 years to go. Okay. Um, Daddy, baka mauna pa ako sayo, okay? At the rate I'm going, you know, and all of us are going to die. But you see, if we believe in Jesus, we will live and we will not die. So he has risen. This morning, I'd, I'd like to, to uh, call this message this. Believe in the resurrected Christ to live the resurrected life. Believe the resurrected Christ to live the resurrected life. Guys, Jesus did not save us just to go to heaven. Did you hear me? Jesus did not save us just to go to heaven because if he did, why are we still here? Honestly. Can I pray right now that we all die and let's all end up in heaven? Many of you young people will not like it. Just not yet, not yet. I still have to marry this beautiful woman. I still have to marry this man. I still have to build this house. I, we have so many other priorities. But he, isn't heaven the most important? And did God save you to go to heaven? 
Well, yes and no. Yes, if you die. But no, because he has some plans for us here and now. You know, between now and heaven, we need to live the resurrected life. Say that to each other. Live the resurrected life. The question is, are we? Are you? Unless you believe in the resurrected Christ, you will not live the resurrected life. Did you hear me? Jesus did not just save you to go to heaven. Jesus saved you and me to live the resurrected life here. And unless you believe in Jesus, the resurrected Christ, you will not live the resurrected life. So this morning, I have two points. One, believe in the resurrected Christ. How? I'll explain that. Number two, live the resurrected life in Christ. And I'm going to talk about what is that and how do you live it? Let's talk about it first. Believe in the resurrected Christ. Many of you probably believe in Christ already. That's great. But many of you are here, and maybe you're still not so clear about that. And my intention this morning is to make that so clear to you. Because if you do so, we will live the resurrected life that will impact our lives forever. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and 2. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, the good news I preached to you before. You welcome it then, and you will stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So, he's talking about the good news. The good news that saves. But this good news saves only if you believe. Because if you don't, it won't save you. I'm sorry. It's only for those who believe. And if you're here, we'd like you to see this good news all over again. And perhaps this time, your response will be real belief, not just head knowledge. To believe in the resurrected Christ is to believe in the good news. What's the good news? What's the gospel? Many times you've heard the gospel. The gospel is actually very simple. The gospel is the good news. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's very simple, straightforward statement. It says, Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said. Big deal, huh? He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said. And this is the gospel. And the apostle Paul is saying, this is what we should believe if you want to be saved. You know, it's, it's easy for us to say, yeah, I read it, and I believe it. Okay. You know, guys, there are, there are deep truths in this, in this gospel that I, I want you to see again this morning to refresh your memory of how, how, how deep, profound, and rich this gospel is. Let me start by saying that believe, believing in this good news, you will be saved and saved people have the resurrected lives. Unless you are saved, you will never live the resurrected lives. I hope you start asking yourself the question, what is it talking about? Am I not living right now? Yeah, but is it the resurrected life? So believe 
that Jesus died for our sins. That's the first part of the gospel. Point number one, Jesus died for our sins. He loves us. You know, for Jesus to die, think about this. He cannot die unless he becomes man, right? That's why he was born man. On Christmas Day, God sent his son to be born in a manger. And I, I thought, how can Jesus die unless he becomes man? You know, for Jesus to become man, to me, that's the ultimate expression of his love for you and me. Why? Because he gave us, he gave up his deity. Can you imagine this, this King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The God who made everything, okay? He's up there. All of a sudden became like you and me. Uh, it, it may not sound so shocking to you because you believe that man is special like you and me are special. And for God, the God of the universe to become like us, well, nothing wrong with that. But I, I, I think it's the wrong kind of metaphor. Maybe I should say, for you to really appreciate how God loves you, is maybe for you to think in this way. God becoming man, I think, is like man becoming cockroach. Did you hear me? You know, it's like that. Jesus, the king of kings, had to put down himself so low so that he can become man, and after becoming man, he will die on that cross. Because if he will not become man, he will not die on that cross to suffer and die. He loves you. And he, he was willing to give up his position. That's number one. And I want you to realize that. On that simple statement, Jesus died for our sins. He could not have died without lowering himself and humbling himself to become like you and me. Did you get that? I will repeat. Did you get that? Yes. Otherwise, I will say it again. And we will stay here till 2 o'clock, okay? Because the gospel is really, really important to me. Luke 2.11. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Guys, he's not just Savior. He is also Lord. And for you to live the resurrected life, don't just consider him Savior. Many Christians today only want the salvation that God offers. They don't like the Lordship part where they have to obey and obey all. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, do you pity me? He doesn't like the toilet paper idea. Okay. Thank you. You know, we went to Canada. I thought it was spring, but it was blizzard. So we had the wrong clothes, wrong shoes, okay? Uh, anyway, that's why I have this. Believe that Jesus died for our sins. Yes. Point number two, for our sins. He died not just for anything else, but for your sins. Say to each other, your sins. Your sins. Because we are sinners, folks. We are sinners. Indeed, we are all sinners bound for eternity hell according to scriptures. No sinner is saved. Okay? If you're a sinner and you think you're saved, you're kidding yourself because no sinner is saved. Romans 3.10 says, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. You know, this is in the gospel. And until you realize this, you will never believe the gospel. And then, point number three, Sin has eternal consequences. 
Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is a consequence if you're a sinner. One sin, the consequence is what? Death. What kind of death? Is it physical? Obviously not. Because if you're a sinner and the consequence is physical, Mike, you should be dead by now. But you're still alive and so much in love. Where's your wife? How come you're not seated already? Separated, okay? See? There is a problem with sin. Sin separates you from God. Okay? And you're already anticipating it, okay? Death. What kind of death? Revelations 21.8 says, For the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Folks, there is the first death. All of us are going to go through the first death, whether you like it or not. Some sooner, some later. But not everybody is going to go to the second death if they're saved. But if you're a sinner, according to the passage, definitely after the first death comes the second death. And you and I are going to go through that. But if you believe in the resurrected Christ, the second death is not going to happen. And that second death is hell. It's the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And guess who are qualified to go there? All right? All liars. Have you lied? If you say you haven't, you've just lied. <laughs> and you're bound for hell, folks. The sooner you know this, the more we will begin to appreciate and lean towards the gospel and say, I want to believe in this gospel because I don't want to go to hell. Bad news. All of us are sinners and surely going to hell. The good news is that our sins can be removed through forgiveness. Huh? All of us are sinners? And you mean there is a way that all of our sins can be forgiven and, 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 and we can go to heaven? Absolutely. How many sins do you, have, do you have to commit to go to hell? One. Bad news is nobody's going to make it. But the good news is there's a way for all of your sins to be removed. And if that's possible, hey, we can go to heaven. And that's the good news. And I love that. Scripture says that there is only one way for sins to be forgiven. And that's found in Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Ah, it has to do with the blood. No wonder in the earlier times for, for the people of God to, 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 to have their sins forgiven, they offer sacrifices. And what do they do with the sacrifice? Guys, they kill it. They, they let the blood flow. Because the blood is the sin offering that removes the sin. And you know, honestly, uh, if, you just, if you just put them side by side, the Lamb is Christ. Because Christ is the Lamb of God. Point number four, only Jesus can save us from our penalty of our sins. Why? Because He's the only one who died and is the acceptable sacrifice to God. God says, if you're going to offer sacrifice, it has to be a perfect lamb. A lamb without defect. And that lamb is Jesus. Next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then, 
Only the blood of Jesus saves and forgives all of our sins to merit heaven. That's part of the gospel. And I, I'm showing this to you. And that's the reason why Jesus, when he was talking to one of his apostles, said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Some people call this arrogance, but I call this certainty because he is the only one who suffered and shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Only Jesus can save us. And you have to believe in this to believe in the resurrected Christ. Point number five, Jesus was buried as dead, but on the third day he rose from the dead. That's what the gospel is saying. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Sounds very casual and a simple statement. But reality is, the resurrection proved that Jesus has overcome death to give us eternal life in heaven. Guys, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, I'm telling you, what's the point of us hoping that when we die, we will also resurrect? It's very clear that he can make us resurrect. When we die, we will rise again because our Savior who promised it in the gospel said he will and he will give it to us as well. And that's why I'd like you to believe. Believe in the resurrected Christ means to embrace all of these points I mentioned to you. If you don't embrace this, I don't think you will really appreciate the gospel. Many, many people, you know, back home and everywhere, you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe. Okay. So when you die, where will you go? I don't know. I'm not sure. You see, I can't understand that. They say they believe in Jesus, but they're not even sure of where will they go because, you know, after Jesus said that I died for you to remove all of your sins so that you'll go to heaven, you cannot even say you're definitely sure. You know why? Because those people never understood these points I'm talking about. And these points I'm telling you today are what I want you to understand on this resurrection day because the value of the resurrection will not mean anything to you unless you understand what Jesus died for. So, we are sinners. Embrace this. And, and the penalty of sin is death. Simple lying will bring us to hell. No man can make it out of hell. Say that to yourself. If I am a sinner, I cannot make it. I better believe this. And point number two, all sins must be forgiven to avoid hell. Ah, I need to remove all of my sins for me to go to heaven. And the way to that is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is special then. No wonder in that movie, he, he, in that film, he was made to really bleed, suffer. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And that's why he's called the Lamb of God. Embrace this truth. Embrace this. Only Jesus can save man because he alone died and shed his blood for mankind. Such is his love for you and me. What do, you want? What, what do we want you to embrace today? That Jesus loves you and that you cannot save yourself and that he's the only one who can save you. And guys, there's nothing to do but embrace him and, and, and really believe with all of your heart that you cannot go anywhere, especially heaven, apart from Jesus. If you think you can save yourself, believe me, Jesus would, should not have died on the cross. So many people in the world today believe that. They think the religion will do that. They think this person will do that. They think this church will do that. They, they go through all of those things because they believe 
that they don't need Jesus. They only need this. Folks, if they can save themselves, why did Jesus die on the cross? Honestly, I ask myself that question. Jesus, you must be really stupid to die on the cross. Because why do you have to die on the cross if people can save themselves? You know? They don't know. That's why. That's why we want you to embrace this truth. And on the third day, he resurrected from the dead. And he has power over death. So, folks, to embrace means to admit that only Jesus can save you from hell, and this is the penalty of sin. And this morning, admit that you need Jesus. If you have not done so all these years and have just taken this for granted, I don't like us to continue to celebrate the resurrection without you admitting that you need Jesus to wash all of your sins and be forgiven through his blood. Admit that you want him in your life. Admit that you want to live the resurrected life as promised in the Bible. I'll talk about this later. Admit. Do that now. I beg you, do it now. Say it by a prayer of admission and acceptance. Believe and receive Jesus by faith in your life as your only Lord and Savior. I'd like to give you a chance right now. Why don't we bow our heads right now? If you want to live the resurrected life, you have to believe in the resurrected Jesus. Folks, this is the time for you to admit and embrace those four points. And for the first time, understand that Jesus is not just the Christ or the Savior, but also the Lord who will deliver you from hell and also see you through this present life. All you have to do is to say this prayer. This prayer is so simple, and if, as I say it, I want you to say it in your heart. Or maybe before I even say it, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you'd like to receive Christ and believe in the resurrected Christ because you understand the four points, would you raise your hand right now and don't be embarrassed because this means a lot to God. Raise your hand. Thank you, I see that. Raise your hand. Higher if you can, if, if you will, okay? Put your hand Put your hand down right now. And those of you who are sure, those of you who have not raised your hand, I hope that you will refresh your heart and your memory about this gospel that saves because it won't, it, it won't do you any harm if you yourself remind yourself also that you can say this prayer just to be sure. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot make it to heaven. I'm a liar. I, I am hopeless. But thank you for your blood. Thank you that you're the Lamb of God and you shed your blood on Calvary for my sins to be forgiven. I believe in you. You're the only one who can save me you're the only way, the truth, and the life. And I want to go to the Father through you, Lord Jesus. I want to receive you and accept you because I believe you're the resurrected Christ. You rose from the dead. I accept you into my heart. I receive you with all my heart because I believe you can bring me to heaven and transform my life from the present life to the resurrected life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Save me. 
and make me the kind of person you want me to be. I accept you right now with all my heart. Amen. You know, if you pray that prayer, nothing, no, no lightning, no thunder, but everything, I think God is so pleased and there's so much rejoicing in heaven. You are now saved and a born-again child according to the Bible. So say that to each other. You good-looking born-again Christian. Say that, okay? Come on. You good-looking born-again Christian. Okay. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't agree because you look at the person and he's not good-looking, just say you're born again, okay? No, just say you're born again. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Why? Look at what the Bible is saying. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Ah, guys, if you prayed to receive Christ, right there, you're a child of God whether you like it or not. Even to those who believe in his name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're born again, not by flesh, but by the will of God. And John 3.16 makes a lot of sense now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Hey, he's the Savior. But please, he rose again. And he has an agenda for us. You are now saved. You are now a born again, new being and creation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old pass away. Behold, new things have come. Look at the person next to you. Is he brand new or still the same? Ah, uh, pastor is getting older. Yeah, okay, it's under I understand. Okay, okay. So, to believe, to believe in the resurrected Christ is to live the resurrected life. We're done with number one. I hope you've accepted that and you are born again Christians and you're saved. Now, you can live the resurrected life. Let's talk about number two. Live the resurrected life in Christ. What is that, pastor? What is that and how do you live that? Let me explain. How, what is the resurrected life? Now, rather, what is the resurrected life? How do you know if we have it? Ah, okay. No. Know that the resurrected life is God's purpose for you while you are still here, alive, okay? You understand me? He just doesn't want you to go to work every day and every day, and then on Sunday, you come here, you sing, and then attend Bible study or attend D group. Nothing wrong with that. But please, God's agenda is far beyond that. Know that the resurrected life is God's purpose for saving you. And you find that in Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Wow. To become conformed to the image of his son is to live the resurrected life. It is becoming Christ-like, mature, transformed. Take a selfie of yourself and ask, am I this person? Am I Christ-like, mature, transformed? Or am I still the same old person that I have been for a long, long time now? Because if you're not becoming Christ-like, mature, 
you, you are not quite living the resurrected life that God has intended for you. The resurrected life is a life of Christ-like maturity. Look at the person next to you. Come on, look at the person next to you. Some of you look at the person next to you, nakatingin lang ganun. Look at the person next to you, go like this, and you go like this, okay? Look at the person next to you, okay? Does he look like Christ-like mature? Or does he look like Satan mature? Uh-oh, okay? I think these are difficult questions to answer. But I think questions that we need to answer nevertheless, right? Because we have to be truthful. If you are saved, are you living the resurrected Romans 28, Romans 8.29 life that God wants you to do, wants you to do, wants you to have? Are you now living the resurrected Christ-like mature transformed life? The Bible is very clear. We should, according to the Bible. It says, Romans 8.11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, okay, resurrection, dwells in you, you receive Christ, right? You receive Christ, right? So he dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also live, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, the same power that resurrected Christ will transform your life to become the old you and become the Christ-like mature that God wants you to be. And if you're not becoming that, there is something wrong. Maybe you have not believed in the resurrected Christ. Or the, the way you believe in the resurrected Christ is just theoretical. Oh, I, 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 I've been a Christian for so long. Oh, how long? 20 years. How's your life now? Oh, four divorce. Uh, oh, I'm going to my fifth, by the way. Congratulations, huh? Okay. My goodness, what kind of life is that? You claim to be a Christian and your life is not transformed? There is something wrong. There's a violation of what the scripture is saying. Because the scripture is very clear. If Christ lives in you, then you have to be transformed. You have to be resurrected yourself, is what I'm saying. Another verse, Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we have been buried to, with him through baptism into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. What is this newness of life? Christ-like, mature, transformed. Christ-like, mature, transformed. Joel, can you, can you relate to this? Okay? Can you see yourself growing in this area? Don't answer, okay? It's okay. I understand. I'm going to ask your wife later, okay? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Guys, if you're saved, honest to goodness saved, you're not the one doing the living. It is Christ doing the living for us. And if Christ is doing the living for us, will he fail? Honestly, louder. He will never fail to transform you and me to become the Christ-like mature, resurrected life that we ought to have. It's as simple as that. How do we know if we are living the resurrected life? Not a difference. Very simple. How do you know that you're living the resurrected life and not the ordinary life? Excuse me. Guys, I'm not transformed physically, okay? You know, uh, I hope you will understand. Not the difference between the ordinary life of the unsaved and the Christ-like mature resurrected life of the saved. 
We're all saved here. Amen? Amen. Not convinced. We're all saved here. Amen? Amen. We're all going to heaven. Amen? Amen? So look, we are supposed to be the Christ-like, mature, resurrected, saved people. How do you know that? See the difference between us and them out there who are not saved. How do we do that? Hmm. Christ-like maturity is the resurrected life and the transformed life that the true disciples have. It is the life of victory, a life of abundance, not a life of defeat, and not a life of death. Honestly, if you are the child of God, you're supposed to live in abundance. Jesus said, I came to give you life, life in all its fullness. So if you're not experiencing the abundant life, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something missing that you ought to do to make this happen to you. If you're living a life of defeat and frustration and defeat and, 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 and setback, there's something wrong. The resurrected life is the Romans 8.28 life because of Romans 8.29, God's purpose. What's the Romans 8.28 life? The Romans, if you are the Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, then the Romans 8.28 life is yours. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Guys, all things will work together for good. Hey, bad things will happen to you. But you know, if you're the Romans 8.29 guy, those things will turn out good. Not all the time. I mean, you know, you're, not, you're going to make mistakes. But do you see your life shaping into something Beautiful as a result of what God has done for you? If you're not there yet, don't worry. You're going to get there. Because Jesus promised a resurrected life for you if you believe in him. Did you believe in him? Yes. Then be ready for the resurrected life. I'm so bold in declaring this because I've seen it happen right before our eyes. All things will work together for good. Are all things usually working together for good in your life? If not, then maybe you are not really living the resurrected life as yet for two reasons. One, you do not know the resurrected life to see if you're living it. Or two, you probably did not believe in the resurrected Christ in the first place. So earlier, I asked you to pray to receive Christ. If you did not believe and you did not do it, when you go home or later, you have to believe because if you don't believe, this resurrected life will never be yours. Now let me talk about what this resurrected life is. How exactly does the resurrected Christ-like mature look like? Are you ready? Look at the person next to you, okay? Uh, okay. See the difference now, okay? Uh, look at the person next to you, okay? And to me, this, the resurrected Christ-like mature life is the Philippians 2, 3 to 8 life, I'm telling you. You know, I sound like a broken record. Paulit, paulit, ulit, paulit, ulit, ulit. But you know, I've discovered in the last three years, doing my ministry in disciple making, I never understood what disciple making is until I understood that the job of a discipler is to make somebody Christ-like mature. And Christ-like mature needs to be understood and seen specifically and clearly. The Philippians 2, 3 to 8 life. This is the resurrected life. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Do you see this? 
If you have the resurrected life, it's not about you. It's about her. Right? It's about her. Paula, it's about him. Doctora, it's not about you. Okay? Guys, the resurrected life is about the other person all the time. Never about us. Because if we are like that, us all the time, we first, we are like the rest of the world. But if we are going to be selfless and humble, okay, selfless and humble, a selfless and humble life is a resurrected Christ-like life. Look at the person next to you. Okay. Selfless, humble, or selfish and devilish. Okay? You know, like I said, it's so simple. I cry. I, I want people to see how simple the Christian life is. Don't complicate it. All we have to do is to be Christ-like, selfless, and humble. If you're doubting it, look at what Christ did. Sorry. Oops, sorry. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, if you think Jesus had it easy, nah. Look, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What did he do? He emptied himself. Guys, can, can you commit to empty yourself? Empty yourself and pour it to the other person. And I think life will be different instead of filling yourself up with everything about yourself. Empty yourself because Jesus did that, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If Jesus were not selfless and humble, he would not have gone to the cross. And this, to me, this is being selfless and humble to the point of death. And this to me is Christ-like maturity. And this to me is the resurrected life of the Christian. If we don't see this happening in our midst, then there is something wrong. Are you this? Are you usually selfless and humble, valuing others first before self? Or are you this? Or are you a selfish and proud like most people are? You know you are if you're this. Number one, you're manipulating. You always have your own agenda. You, you, you talk to people and you always want people to have it your way. And you dangle something because you want it your way. You're manipulating. If you are manipulating, then you're not Christ-like at all, even if you are a Christian. And there may be something wrong. Or you're uncaring. You just don't care. It's all, it's all about yourself. Um, you're conceited, and you are so self-centered all the time. This is painful, but I think we have to really confront ourselves and look at ourselves in the mirror if, if we really are Christ-like versus self-centered, proud, and arrogant. Stingy in giving and sharing. So if you're really Christ-centered, can you put all of your checks later here in a, 
write all the big checks, okay, to Pastor Insong and me, okay? No, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm telling you, your life is, should be characterized by sharing and giving. If not, then maybe something's wrong. Maybe you have not understood the resurrected life. Always expecting others to serve you. I have good news for you. Selfishness is a fantastic way to be miserable. Show me a selfish person and I'll show you a depressed, miserable, sad, no-friend person. But show me Christ-like, mature, selfless, humble, resurrected Christian. I'm going to show you a happy, happy, joyful person because it's all about others and not about themselves. Many Christians today are not living the resurrected, transformed life. Honestly, so many Christians, they go to church. They really are part of a growing church, even CCF. You know, we, we CCFers are not excused. If we're not aware, we, we are not probably living the transformed life. In fact, many Christians today are still full of pride and selfishness that they remain immature, flatline Christians. And worse, folks, worse, they don't even know it. They go through their Christian life thinking they're okay, but they don't know it. They're flatline Christians. Consequently, the witness of the Christians to the world of non-Christians is damaged and unappealing. That's why we have these kinds of findings today. What are the findings today? Christianity is on a decline. The fastest growing segment of, of, of the faithful world are those who don't believe in anything anymore. The millennials, our young people, our young people are, are going away. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased to see so many CCFers all over Canada and over, all over the U.S. where there's still a group of young people. Because, you know, you can go to many churches now and all you see are geriatric people like you and me. Hey, hey, hey like, <laughs> like me and, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Inso. Oh, never mind, okay. You know, we would like to see so many young people because it's a rare treat to see young people in the church. Because 80% of the millennials, when they get to the age of, you know, 18, what do they say? I'm done. And folks, these people grew up in Christian churches, by the way. Okay? If they grew up in Christian churches and they were going to Sunday, after Sunday, they're going to the Bible, school, Bible, Bible study, and they're going to elevate, and they're going to elevate, and then when they get to a point where they're independent, they will say, bye-bye, mom, I've got nothing to do with your faith. Why? Because their testimony is damage because they don't see the Christ-likeness in all of us and what they see is the selfishness and our, our tendency to just promote our own agenda. Christianity is on a present decline. And you will, you will see comments like this from, um, of course, G.K. Chesterton is a, a Roman Catholic who became a Christian, okay? He lived in the early 1900s and he said Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and untried. You know, many Christians think Christianity is difficult and impossible. That's why they never live it. Did you hear me? Many Christians think, ah, it is. Can you imagine Jesus telling you, love your enemy? How easy is that? That's difficult. Forgive those who hate you. Or who, 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 forgive those who hurt you, right? And if you were slapped, turn the other cheek, Okay. Mike, can I slap you? <laughs> that Mike, not you, okay? okay? I miss you, Mike, okay? Let me slap Mike here and let's see what he does, okay? 
You know, if he's a true Christian, he's going to turn the other cheek, right? <laughs> See, that's the standard of Christianity. And that's the reason why folks like this are critical about Christianity. They say, you know, Christianity is fine, but it's so difficult. That's why many people don't try it. And you know, maybe you're like that. You only choose the easy ones. And because you choose the easy ones, we never excel. We never become the kind of Christians that we ought to be because the kind of Christians that will attract people are those people who forgive their enemies and turn the other cheek. We don't. In fact, we're so selfish. We don't know it. Christianity is the answer to the present social disorder. I keep telling this. The world problem today is spiritual. Homosexuality, same-sex marriage, depression, suicides, these are all spiritual problems. And it, the problem is spiritual, I'm telling you, the solution is also spiritual. And the only solu spiritual solution that I know is Christianity. But because Christianity is not practiced truly and full, the people out there cannot appreciate that it is the solution because they don't see it in us living the resurrected life. They don't see it in us living the selfless and humble life. And that's why you have people like this. Mahatma. You know what Mahatma said? You know, Mahatma studied in a Christian school. And he was asked, why are you not a Christian? And you know, look at his answer. Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. If, if it, it is just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. Ouch, how true. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. You know, I love this guy. Here lies the answer to the salvation of the world. If only the Christians would live according to the teachings of Christ. What does that mean? If we will only obey what the Bible is saying, if we will only obey the commands of God, then we will make the world a better place. Guys, if you will only become good Christians at home, then your family will be Christians today. If all of us will live according to Christ, then this community in Pasadena will be Christian today. And sooner or later, if all of us will live according to Christ, then the whole of California will be Christian today. And the reason why California is not a Christian today is because we Christians, sad to say, are not living the resurrected life. Guys, this is bad witness, and this must end, okay? I hear no response. <laughs> this is bad witness, and it must end, okay? okay? Because if you don't say okay, we will not eat, okay? <laughs> Lest we want to grieve Jesus continually. If you want to grieve Jesus and hurt Jesus, Jesus died for your sins, he resurrected again, he promised to give you this life, he promised to give you a resurrected life, but we are not doing anything about it. You know what? He's grieved. He's hurt. And you can take that for granted and say, I don't care. Maybe you're not saved in the first place if you don't care. Ouch. I'm sorry if I speak like this, but you know, I would rather wake you up and make you realize that there's something wrong than for you to believe that you are okay even if you're not. Christians, let's live the resurrected Christ like mature life day by day, moment by moment. How do we live the resurrected life 
for sure, moment by moment and continually. See the great value of the resurrected Christ life to you versus the immature flatline. See the value. Like it. Prefer it. Desire it. Versus the immature flatline line that you may be living without knowing it. Many Christians are not aware that their Christian life can be pictured like that. When they prayed to receive Christ, they understood the gospel, they jumped, boom. After that, flatline. And many of us are probably like that without being aware. Our Christian life should look like this. Alive, vibrant. Um, and and let, me, let me put it this way. Again, please, don't kill me for this. I'm just expressing my heart. Most of the disciples today are like this. Most of the Christians today are like this, flatline. But most of the disciples of Jesus then were like this. You know, the apostles during Jesus' time, they were different. Study them. They're they just so committed to follow Christ in whatever they face. They died for what they believed. Why? Because they saw something that we Christians today are not seeing. You know what they saw? PJ, you know what they saw? The presence of God. They saw, they saw Jesus. They were walking with Jesus for almost three years, day by day. And what did they see? They saw Jesus change water into wine. They saw the fish coming, even if the fish or even if the, the sea was like no fish. They were seeing miracles upon miracles. They see the lame walk. They see the blind see. They see the dead rise. These are just ordinary things that they see because Jesus was with them. Because Jesus was trying to tell them, I have the power. And if you are mine, and if you are my disciples, stick with me and you will begin to see many of these things and you will be excited about your Christian life, never to give up and always ready to obey me. They saw many things. They, they, they saw the, the deaf hear. They saw the, 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 the speechless speak. Many more miracles. They saw it because they were walking with Jesus. But what about us today? Do we still see these things? Any? You know, we assume it. Oh, it happened then. No longer happening now because this is the New Testament days. I'm sorry. I'm telling you. If you are going to have Jesus live and really, really claim that Jesus is walking with us, we should be ready to see all of these things, not literally, but figuratively. You will see the broken marriages come together. You will see the dead in spirit become rising. You will see Mike transformed into a loving, sacrificial husband that he was not to be. Sorry, Mike, you're the only person I know here, okay? So, you know, uh, I love you and, you know, I want Paula to enjoy. So you have to be transformed. And when, when, when Paula sees that miracle and say, he will say, Jesus is true, right? The problem with us is we never see miracles anymore because we are flatline Christians. He drove evil spirits right before them, you know, and he forgave sinners. He did not choose anyone. He spent time with the, with the tax collectors and the sinners and I can go on and on. And even Zacchaeus, 
the tax collector. No? And then he multiplied food, miracles. He walked on water. There was life in their midst. But what about us? We're the living dead. Look at the person next to you. Does he look like a zombie? <laughs> Guys, we can't go on like this. And worse, we don't even know it. Okay? Uh, we have to look like this. Alive. People see Christ in us. God is at work in us. And they are seeing transformation upon transformation. Miracles. You finding a beautiful job. You getting rid of your sickness. And oh my goodness, I can't, I can't, I can't picture how beautiful it will be if every Sunday somebody will come up here and say, Hey, here's a miracle that I saw. Every Sunday, somebody steps up here and says, every miracle that I see. And then you know what? I think this body of believers will represent a resurrected body of believers. Because if we don't have stories, then we're the living dead. We ought to be bothered because we ought to be bothered because we are no longer becoming the kind of Christians that are impacting Christians out there. That's the great value of the resurrected Christian life. And I want you to see that. The great value, Christ-likeness, pleases God the most. The resurrected life is about the selfless, humble, Christ-like, mature life. And I want you to see the value of that. What is the value of that? To desire it, number one. Christ-likeness pleases God the most. And when we live out the resurrected, Christ-like life, then God is most pleased with us to use us and bless us. If God is pleased with you, what will God do to you? He's going to give you a beautiful or a handsome husband, okay? And you will say, I already have one, okay? Then he's going to give you a very selfless husband. Oh, I don't have one, okay? You see, you see the progression? You know, God knows exactly where he wants to bring us. He wants us to be Christ-like. So tell the person next to you, be Christ-like. Selfless and humble. Until you die. And God is going to be pleased with you. You know, and he, here's, here's where I get really excited. God is openly and biasedly. Is there a word, Pastor? Biasedly? Huh? God is openly and biasedly. Uh, he openly and biasedly favors and blesses the humble. Because they are the obedient ones. The humble are the obedient ones. God blesses the humble. They are the obedient. Isaiah 66 verse 2. My hand made them. This is how it came to be. Here's God talking. I made the world. I made the universe. I show special favor to the humble. You know, I've studied this word humility over and over because I was taken really shot by the simplicity of Christ-likeness. And I discovered that everywhere you see the word humble, God favors it. God it's like, it's like a magnet for God. If you want God to be attracted to you, folks, be Christ-like. And you cannot be Christ-like, by the way, unless you believe in Him. Unless you believe in the resurrected Christ, you cannot, believe, you cannot live the resurrected Christ-like life. I show special favor to the humble, contrite, who respect, obey, and what I have to say. Proverbs 22.4. And I, I always tell this to my children. You know, I have three kids, they're adults. And you know, 
at every opportunity, I tell them, hey, be humble because the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. That's all there is in the world, right? Riches, honor, and life. You want the money to buy the car, the house? You want the respect of your friends, honor? And then you want healthy life. You run, you marathon, you exercise. Look at, look at your muscles, man, they're big, okay? I wonder how long you're gonna keep that, okay? <laughs> see, you know, and, and you see, the sad part is this. People are looking for riches, honor, and life in the wrong places. What in fact said, God said, that's only my reward for you if you're Christ-like, by the way. Ah, I said, wow. God, this is so simple. Simple? Really? You cannot become really humble and Christ-like unless you're saved and transformed and unless Christ lives in you. 1 Peter 5, 5-7. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your, to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another for God is opposed to the proud. Wow. <laughs> but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. I mean, you want God to lift you up? Guys, simple. Be humble. God will, God will exalt those who humble themselves, but God will what? Humble those who exalt themselves. How does one get to live out the resurrected Christ-like life? How does one get to live this out? You know, you know already what the Christ-like life is. But you see, you're still asking, yeah, Pastor Danny, how can we do that consistently day by day, moment by moment? You know, I've asked that question myself. And you know, in the last three years, God showed me very clearly, and I kept, kept telling Pastor Peter this every time I'm in Manila. Pastor, I think I now understand the how. This is the thing that many Christians never understood. How does, you, how does one get to live out the resurrected Christ-like life? I like to be Christ-like. I like to be selfless and humble. Who doesn't want that? But how do I get there? Is it a question of praying and then waiting? No. You know, it, it's like losing weight or developing the muscles. How do you develop the muscles? By praying and doing nothing? No, you go to the gym, right? Right? And stop eating because this would become bigger. Right? You discipline yourself and start doing something. So how do you live the resurrected life? Very simple. First, God will be the one to make us have and live the resurrected Christ-like life. Make no mistake about it. No one else can make it happen but God. Okay? Resolve that in your mind. God will be the one to make you Christ-like. Romans 8.29 He predestined those whom He saved to be Christ-like, like it or not, you will become, you will live the resurrected life because He said He predestined you. Settle that once and for all. And then, God makes us Christ-like, selfless and humble by commanding us to obey all. Did you know that? You want to become, you want to live the resurrected life? God said, I have a way. By the way, I'll make you Christ-like whether you like it or not. But I have a way. Obey all. Now, folks, I, I never took this seriously until I understood this. If you're a Christian right now and there is something that you're not obeying as far as God is concerned, just one, huh, I'll tell you, he's not there with you. He's not pleased with you at all. Especially if you're saying, oh, among all of the things that I am doing, I'm sure God will understand this. Honestly, if you're contemplating on divorcing your wife, 
or contemplating on something else that you think is acceptable to the world and God will understand because you're obeying 80% or 99% anyway, you're wrong. Because God wants you to obey all. So he commanded us to obey all. Disobedience, even to one command, God will deal. And he will deal it through humbling problems and circumstances which stay and which linger until we obey. You know, this happened to me. I thought that I was a pastor and a Bible teacher and a good man. But I never understood that I was, in my heart, really selfish and proud. I had my own agenda, but when people look at me, they think that I'm a good man because I'm a good provider. And by the way, he's a pastor. He's a good Bible teacher. You know, deep inside, I was growing proud. You know what God did to me? Because I was disobeying and I was not really giving up everything. He humbled me. You know, 20, 20, 20 years ago, he paralyzed me. As you, as you can see, I'm walking because I learned my lesson. And paralysis is one thing that God gives a person to humble himself completely. You cannot even help yourself. I got well, obviously. I was with Pastor In Song in the same hospital. His, his lungs was removed. Oh, lungs, ba? Oh, kidney, kidney, okay? He, he doesn't pee anymore, okay? Me, I could not walk. We were in the same hospital, so but I'm now walking and it's now peeing, okay? As you can see. So, I, I learned my lesson, okay? Uh, then, then, five years after, uh, God had to do His work on humbling me again. He gave us the, the green and go signal or passport to America, okay? We're, we're in the States 12 years now. And in 2006, we came to the, to the U.S. thinking that everything will be okay. But you know, I, I never understood that that was for me, especially for me, uh, because God wanted to continually humble, humble me. Everything that I did from 2006 in terms of business, in terms of money, in terms of anything, was all kaput, like zero. Okay? Remember, I was a successful corporate person. I'm a good marketing man. I can sell anything. But when it came to America, I was a total failure. From a business executive running a company to knocking door-to-door -door salesman selling solar panels, okay? Honestly, I, I had to go through that. I didn't understand why. You know, and God said, because you're a proud person. And because I saved you, I'm not gonna let you off the hook until you learn your lesson. But Danny, when you learn your lesson, I'm gonna exalt you. And believe me, it's all gonna happen to you if you resist. And I'm telling you my example because I don't like you to go through it. Especially my children. I tell my children, please, don't resist God. Okay? Because if you think you know better than God, He will humble you, especially if you're saved. And you're not going to like it. You know, there's, there's, there's a better way. Why do you have to fight God? To me, God's ordained way or method to be Christ-like without going through the pains is by obeying all by making disciples. Oh, see the connection? You know, I understood right away. Making disciples. That's why in Matthew 28, where is Matthew 28? Oh, here. Okay, right here. I'm so glad. I'm so small. You can read it, right? Okay. Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, 
and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, that's why we have every member a discipler. Every single one of you are a member of the body of Christ. And whether you like it or not, you are supposed to be disciplers. Because if you're not going to make disciples, I'm telling you, then go through the other route. Let God humble you in difficult ways. But if you want to go, like developing your muscles in the gym, okay, make disciples. If you make disciples, I'm telling you, I told Pastor Peter this. Pastor Peter, unless we make disciples, unless a believer make disciples, he will never grow to become a Christ-like mature Christian. Unless we make disciples, we have nil chance of living out the resurrected Christ-like selfless and humble life that God favors. You understand what I'm saying? That's why it says there, every member, a discipler. So, I will summarize. To believe in the resurrected life, to, to believe in the resurrected Christ is to live the resurrected life. I covered two points. I hope you believed in the resurrected Christ. And now I hope you're committed to live the resurrected life in Christ. How? By making disciples intentionally. Because that's your gym. That's your way of developing your muscles. And I will end by asking and asking and appealing you to do this. CCF, let's make disciples intentionally, okay? I don't hear you. Okay. Make disciples intentionally, okay? okay? You know how to make disciples intentionally, right? Really? Okay, let me ask the most spiritual person here. Okay, Francis. Uh, what's a discipler? Francis, what's a discipler? A discipler make disciples, duh. Right? How do you make disciples? Ayana, Francis, how do you make disciples? If you don't know Francis, pass it on to the next guy. Okay? And you know, before you know it, the microphone is back to me because nobody can answer it directly. Guys, I don't have to prove my point here. I've seen it all over the world. Every time I ask a person, are you a discipler? They say yes. How do you make disciples? Oh, be part of CCF. Oh, very good answer, okay? No, how do you make disciples? Guys, unless you know how to make disciples, you can never say that you're going to become an intentional disciple maker. It's so easy for us to say, I'm a discipler because I'm part of a CCF disciple making body. I'm a discipler because I'm part of a D group and my D group is pastor, my D group leader is pastor in song, okay? You know, guys, it's not that. You have to know exactly what a discipler is. A discipler is one who makes disciples. And a person who makes disciples does this. Number one, he shares the gospel. And then number two, he doesn't stop there. He teaches the person to obey all so that that person will become Christ-like, mature. And you cannot share the gospel 
if your life is a mess, by the way. If they don't see the resurrected Christ like life in you, it's very difficult to share the gospel. And so that's why parents, I'm asking you, if you want to share the gospel to your kids, say sorry, you messed up. Humble yourself to say, I've not been a good father. And I want to show you that, you know, I'm willing to change. And that's the only relationship route where the gospel can be shared. And once the gospel is shared, don't leave them hanging. Teach them to obey all. Model to them what it means to obey. Okay? Go to your son. Here, son, I'll prove to you I'm Christ-like. Slap me, and I'm going to give you money. Okay? See? <laughs> Dino, don't do that to me later, okay? <laughs> By the way, my son is here. Praise God. Okay? You know, I, 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 ooh. Okay. You know, really, honestly, guys, we don't know how to make disciples yet. And that's why, can I, can I appeal to you? Pastor In Song is going to share with you next week, all of you, how to live the resurrected life by making disciples. We want you to join the intentional disciple-making training next week. Pastor In Song, are you going to do it next week? Okay? And you know when he's going to do it? He's going to do it on a Sunday right here. In other words, instead of going through a regular Sunday praise and worship, we'll just have one song, maybe, or two, and then he's going to go through right into this. Would you like to know how to make disciples? Yes. Really? Because if you don't know how to make disciples, believe me, you have two ways to do it. One is go through my route of being paralyzed and knock on the door and be a salesman. Or you can go make disciples and become the Christ-like person that God wants you to be. And believe me, I would rather that you make disciples. Live the resurrected life by believing in the resurrected Christ. Thank you for listening and joining us. Let's pray. No, don't clap, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. And I pray that, Lord, this will be the beginning of a realization that we will not take your salvation for granted. We will not take your, 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 your rising from the dead, your resurrection for granted. But rather, Lord, we will take this seriously because there's so much at stake. And we pray that um, beginning today, we will commit to really learn how to live the resurrected life by praying for us to become real disciples in every sense of the word. And Lord, I pray that you will enable all of us to be here next Sunday even to learn about disciple making. Thank you, Lord. All glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Today is not only Resurrection Sunday, it's the first Sunday of the month. And here in CCF, we have decided that we will celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion on the first Sunday of each month. The Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, is one of two institutions that the Lord commanded us to commemorate as often. The other one, as Pastor Danny has shared with us, is to challenge those who have come to faith in Christ to make a public declaration of that faith through the waters of baptism. The other, or, the other ordinance that Jesus Christ commanded us is the Lord's table. 
And what is the biblical basis of this? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 25 reads, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You saw that video, did you not? That was the body of Jesus Christ, was it not? And it was given up. It was tore apart for you and me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Did you see that Jesus spilled his blood for your sins? Did you see it? He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In the Old Testament, when they would have offerings, sacrificial offerings, the animals that they slew, the animals that they spilled the blood, they remained dead. They were burned. But when Jesus offered his body, and shed his blood. They buried him. But after three days, he rose again. That's why we can celebrate. And we are commanded, do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. We don't do it every day. We don't do it every Sunday. Because we run the risk of it becoming a routine, a habit. And we lose its essence. So we have, as a church, decided to do this every first Sunday of each month. But there is a warning. Because the Bible says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So there's a warning. If you partake of the juice and the bread, you're proclaiming that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe in the resurrected Christ and are committed to live the resurrected life. So what is Paul telling us to do? But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why? For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and their numbers sleep. So, my friends, the Lord's table is very serious in the eyes of God. It is a cause for reflection. Do I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about religion. Religion will not save us. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ will. Am I willing to live out the resurrected life? Because I know that through the Holy Spirit living in me, I can do it. The Bible does not teach that this bread literally becomes the body of Jesus, nor will this cup of juice literally become the blood of Jesus. They are symbols, they are elements. So as I call up the band to come, 
in a spirit and attitude of prayer between you and God, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you willing to live out the resurrected life? If the answer to both is yes, then please come. Come and partake of the bread. Come and partake of the juice. Come forward, get a cup, get a piece of bread, and hold on as we will partake of these elements together. Come. For those of you still waiting to come, be in an attitude of prayer. And ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that you're telling me? Anything that I need to give up? I would encourage you, if the Lord is revealing something to you and you're not willing to give it up, inhibit yourself. I'm not preventing you. Take it upon yourself. Don't be embarrassed. We're family here. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just want to worship you this morning. We just want to thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And the only way, Lord God, that we can repay, we can repay you for what you've selflessly done for us is to live out this resurrected life that you desire for us. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking all of our sins upon your body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Let's partake of the bread. Taking the cup of wine, he lifted it up and gave thanks. And he said, take, this is the cup of my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. Lord Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood your perfect and unblemished blood for the remission of our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that though our sins are like scarlet, your blood washes them to be white as snow. Lord, every time that we are tempted to disobey you, every time that we are tempted to sin against you, let this be a reminder, Lord God, your body and your shed blood. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for giving us eternal life through the blood that you have shed for us. Thank you, Lord God. Let's partake together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity.
to come together as a family, a spiritual family, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, to hear your word preached, to receive it with gladness, and now the responsibility, Lord God, to live it out so that we would find favor in you. God, bless the balance of our time. Thank you for allowing us this most precious time to be with you, to be with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him One final breath he gave as heaven looked away. The Son of God was laid in darkness. The battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake the stone was rolled away his perfect love could not be overcome now death where is your sting our resurrected king has rendered you defeated forever he is glorified 
Get away. 
is risen. He is risen indeed. If you are here for the first time, know that we don't pass the offering plate. We do have an offering box at the back. Now, because it's Easter, we are going to have lunch together. Right? There's food prepared at the basement. So before we dismiss, why don't we pray and thank God for the food, shall we? Let's settle down as we pray for the food. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of this food that we can share with one another. Thank you, Lord God, for all of your provision. But most importantly, Lord, thank you for the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless the food for our body's use. Bless our time of fellowship. Bless everyone, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday, everyone.